Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. I, yeah, I, I got jokes. So what do you call a mainstream cloud? The stratus quo. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. And from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from indie tunesmith Cass McCombs. Thanks, Cass. Thank you, Cass. We think. And <laughs> later we'll be speaking with Hoboken's finest, Ira Kaplan of the band Yola Tango. Wait a second, isn't Frank Sinatra? He's dead. Okay. It's not okay. But first, small talk. So, Rico, this week's news came from opposite land. No, it didn't. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Gourmet magazine increases its circulation, looks better than ever, yep. gets canceled. Mm. David Letterman admits he's a creepy boss on air. <laughs> on television. Ratings soar. So we should take note of that. And the U.S. ranked 29th <laughs> in the world in infant mortality with 8 million people uninsured, picks up three Nobel Prizes in medicine. Yes. Well, I'd rather have prizes than health care. Okay. In opposite land. Anyway, <laughs> you would actually have healthcare in opposite land. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as usual, we did not take a spin around the marketplace offices to find out about news stories you have totally heard about. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Australia is trying to limit drinking. Impossible. Well, limit might be kind of a strong term. Fans of this really popular car race in Australia called the Bathurst 1000 are going to be limited to a slab of beer a day, which is 24 beers. 24 beers per person. That's a limit. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to reduce crime. <laughs> As if after 24 beers you could even commit a crime. Exactly. It's going to work. Millie Jefferson, production assistant at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Apparently, a university in Liverpool is now offering a master's degree in Beatles music. What? And now I'm starting to rethink the master's degree that I actually did. You worked eight days a week for what? <laughs> exactly. Well, now I know how to follow up my Metallica GED. <laughs> George Judson, managing editor. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Business suits that protect you against swine flu. Uh, tell me more. Well, it's a Japanese invention. Of course. They're producing suits that are coated with a chemical that is usually found in toothpaste that will kill the virus. See, I've got a simpler swine flu suit. It's a, it's a neon lime green, and whenever I wear it, people just stay far away from me. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like a hearty bowl of soup with history noodles and a booze broth. Sounds great. It's just like grandma Isn't made. Isn't that like snapper soup? They give you booze on the side. I have no... What? When I was a kid and went to diners in New Jersey, you'd order the snapper soup and they'd give you a little sherry in a paper cup. Jersey is weird. Oh, yes, my friend. <laughs> first, the history part. This week back in 1446, the Korean alphabet was first published. Now, if you or your dinner guests are Korean, you probably know why that's a big deal. Michelle Philippi is here to tell the rest of the world. They say the truth will set you free. But first, you got to be able to read the truth. And in 15th century Korea, most people couldn't. Read, that is. Or write. How come? Even though everyone spoke Korean, all writing was in a form of Chinese. And Chinese is hard, made up of thousands of complex characters. Only a bunch of elite scholars really understood it. Everyone else was illiterate. 
The elites didn't mind. Illiteracy kept common Koreans in the lower class, where they belonged. Enter King Sejong the Great. He wasn't a big fan of the status quo. In fact, he wanted to see his people rise above their station. So he invented an alphabet for everyone. He called it Hangul. Instead of thousands of characters, it had 28. The letters were designed to look kind of how your mouth looks when you speak them aloud. It's still one of the simplest alphabets on Earth. You can learn to read in a day. And to the elite, it was a huge threat. When peasants started using Hangul to make political protest posters, Sejong's successors banned it. When the Japanese ruled Korea during World War II, they wouldn't even let Hangul be taught in schools. Some Koreans taught it to each other in secret, but illiteracy was back on the rise. That didn't last. Korea became independent in 1945 and started phasing out Chinese in favor of Hangul. Today, both Koreas are almost 100% literate. And South Korea sponsors a UN prize awarded to groups who fight illiteracy. It's named after King Sejong. So that's the history. Now it's time for the drink to serve along with it. I'm talking with Naomi Shemek. She is the bar chef at our bar here in Koreatown in Los Angeles. Uh, Naomi, you've heard the history. What drink does it inspire you to make? I'm calling it Song for Sejong. Oh, well, that's very lovely. Yeah, uh, he's a wonderful man, so we've made a wonderful drink. For the main base ingredient, I chose soju. Of course, it's sort of Korea's national beverage. Exactly. Can I ask you, I've always wondered, like, the difference between that and sake taste-wise. Is there really much of a difference? Uh, soju is a more of a strong taste to it, and it's a little sweet. But what I did was take three chili peppers, cut them in half, right. and soak them in the bottle of soju for about 48 hours. Ah, so it's like a Korean-style spiciness. Yes. Nice. Take two ounces of that. One ounce of fresh pomegranate juice, mm. a little wedge of lemon, squeeze that in there, and then three-quarter ounces of chrysanthemum and ginseng syrup. And this is something I can just find on the shelf down at Kmart, I'm sure. No, an easy way for people to do it at home is just some chrysanthemum and ginseng tea. Oh, all right. And you can make a simple syrup infused with the tea bags. Interesting. It's lovely, lovely syrup. So it'll be sort of tangy and flowery at the same time, mm-hmm. this drink. Well, the Koreans have a lovely history of making flower wines and medicinal wines. So we put that in and? And shake it up. And that's it? Yeah. And how many of these do we uh, have to drink before we can no longer spell in any language? <laughs> Maybe three or four. <laughs> because the universal language is drunk. Yes. Yeah. So, Rico, I find that history deeply ironic. And why? Because North Korea's current leader only gives his people two characters, F and U. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. And lots of pictures of himself. Uh, we know a way you can communicate with us dear listeners in 140 characters yes we give them all to you follow us at dinner party dnld our guest of honor this week is ira kaplan of the band yola tango and although it sounds strange to say it they're one of the most venerable indie rock bands in america they just celebrated their 25th anniversary and they're now touring to support their 12th album it's called popular songs and Ira, what's the most popular song on Popular Songs? Oh, I don't know. What you, Wouldn't you know better than us? Well, I don't know. You, you've been touring in support of it. I have my own thoughts. Um, it, it, Sometimes when we start up periodically, double or triple, we can tell you like people are happy it's starting. 
Seems like the indie rock genre has grown up around you guys. What are some of the most dramatic changes that have maybe happened with even your your lifestyle on tour since you began? A lot of the things that seemed preposterous to me about rock music when I was younger don't seem nearly so preposterous anymore. Uh, it was an interesting uh, moment in my life when I felt like I could see Van Halen's side of the brown M&M <laughs> legend. Uh, what is the equivalent of the brown M&M in Yellow Tango? <laughs> well, you know, this is this is a really amazing life that we get to lead. And, and I couldn't be happier about the success we've had and our ability to really just play and do whatever we want, you know, make a living doing it. It's, it's amazing. But one of the things that's kind of can be odd about having people like you is that um, from a business side, you represent an opportunity. And that's a weird feeling. You, you want people to kind of care about you and care about what you're doing. And that's how I felt about the brown M&Ms thing. It's like, if you're just going to open a bag of M&Ms and put them in a bowl, you know, you can't. If we have to force you to care about what you're doing, then we'll write it in the contract. And, you know, you just get in that bowl and take out the brown M&Ms and, and, and show that you've, you've put some effort into welcoming us to your city. <laughs> and yeah, so it's show love for Yolo Tango the band, not Yolo Tango the brand, perhaps. Yeah. That's my Jesse Jackson in me, sorry. I just, I, I just, I just do that. It just happens. Um, we have a couple standard questions that we ask on our show. And the first one is, what question are you tired of being asked at dinner parties? Uh, how would you describe your music? Why does that bother you? Well, because it seems like if you can describe it, you don't have to play it. Which might come in handy at a dinner party where it'd be awkward to bring out, you know, an organ and a guitar. That's why we don't get invited to that many dinner parties. <laughs> Our propensity for pulling out the organ is really, uh, oh, God, that, that really didn't come out the way I planned it at all. <laughs> well, our second question is, um, what is something you've never talked about in interviews before? Tell us something we don't know about you. Uh, you know, I'll bet people haven't put this together about our band that um, because George is left-handed and uh, James is right-handed, that when James plays George's drum set, he has to play backwards. Really? And does that cause any tension in the band? No. Every, you know, that's. I think it's it's more the other way around. I think everybody wants to play drums. That was like, you know, did you have a friend when you were young who had a drum set? I did. Wasn't it like the best thing to do after school to go over and play his drums? <laughs> well, he's yeah, he's my best friend. But then I was always stuck with him as the drummer because he had the kit, whether or not I agreed with his drumming style. Yeah. So like I had like a little twee band, but then he would beat the drums like we were in the Melvins, you know. <laughs> so you're saying that band did not last for 25 years? Maybe 25 days. You know, Rico, now that I think about it, Melvins and Bell and Sebastian together. It's not so bad. That sounds like a hot band. <laughs> it's Melvin Sebastian, <laughs> you could call it. It would be like really heavy songs about going to the laundromat. <laughs> I've really felt the Melvins have been missing ukulele. Okay, listeners, tell us your dream twee metal tweedle mashup. It's Tweedle. <laughs> it would be Meet the Tweedles. Just search for Dinner Party Download on Facebook.
So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we see what's up in the world of food. So, Brendan, it is getting harder and harder to justify being a meat eater. True that, man. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for our bodies. Bad for our bellies. Delicious for our taste buds. I totally agree. <laughs> and uh, that's why there's some good news this week. It is also, it turns out, uh, a bad time to be a vegetarian. I knew it. The Center for Science in the Public Interest released the top 10 foods most contaminated with things like E. coli. And number one is leafy greens. And kids everywhere are forwarding this <laughs> to their parents. <laughs> As we speak. Anyway, Robert Kenner is the director of the documentary Food, Inc. It is a scathing look at the food industry. It comes out on DVD next month. And he says, while industrial food safety is bad, what's worse is how we're kept from doing anything about it. What really shocked me is to what lengths these corporations will go to keep us from knowing how this food is grown and what's in this food. There are laws in place to keep you from talking about this food. Like what? It's called the veggie libel law. Oprah, during the mad cow disease, when she said it makes you, you know, not want to eat burgers, she was sued by the Cattlemen's Association for potential loss of income. One of our characters whose son died from eating a burger because of E. coli, when I asked her how it's affected her eating habits, she said she couldn't tell me because she would be scared she'd be sued. That, that hamburger probably has more rights than we do. Now, on the converse, this film was obviously made under the previous presidential administration. Uh, the Obama administration has said that's going to be a priority for them, increasing food safety. Do you think that we're going to see change? I think that we have to see a change because if you care about health care, uh, you can't do it without changing the food system. If you care about the environment, you have to change the food system. And I really believe the first thing that they will be changing is food safety, that ultimately the government will be able to gain the rights, I hope, to take food off the shelves that is making us sick. They do not have that right. Corporations get to be the ones who pull that food off the shelves, and that to me was a shocking piece of information. Now, you've used the word shocking now a couple of times. I'm going to ask you the same question that you asked the character in your film. Has learning this stuff made you change your eating habits? Well, I um, eating industrial chicken or industrial beef or industrial tomatoes. They're not as pleasing as they used to be. I will still eat these foods, but I'll try to buy them from better producers. There is good food being made, and hopefully the consumers can encourage more good food. And as there's more of a movement, uh, we're going to also change government policies. So Rico, there's actually a version of the veggie libel law in my family. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> I was prosecuted by my baka for giving away her... That's, this is your grandmother? Yes, that's grandmother in Croatian. All right. Yeah. And so I was prosecuted by her for giving away her tomato sauce to my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> the recipe. It was really ugly. My dad had to testify against me. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, guys. Thanks to Anna Wagle, Patrick Chang, and the folks at The Current for helping us set the table. And thanks to John Raby and Queena Kim. You can catch us on their show, Off Ramp. You'll find it at kpcc.org. And oh man, we leave you as always with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. Yes, the band is called Ladies... They were around for 25 days in 1999, what future historians will call <laughs> the birth year of Tweedle. The song is called Heads Out the Window. Oh, you may man. recognize the lead singer's voice. Here goes nothing. Bon appétit. Falling down with 3,000 miles away, I cut 
that's out the window Ooh, ooh, ooh oh, oh, know where you have to go Brendan Francis, 